You know, uh, this is uh, my first time here for the for the new year, so I want to say Happy New Year to everybody. I hope it's going to be a great uh, year for all of us. And uh, I've been thinking about something that's been in the news, well, maybe not in the general news, but certainly in our rabbi news. It's been uh, a hot topic uh, for the last couple of months, and I thought I might share some thoughts with you as the new year begins, because I think it offers to us a unique challenge. What I'm speaking about is uh, last year, at the end of last year, was the 50th anniversary of a document that came out of the Roman Catholic Church called uh, Nostra Ite, actually as part of Vatican II. Now, I don't want to get you all wired up about all of that stuff or about Catholics or anything like that. Please give me a break. But there is um, something very significant that's happening. Remember something. The Roman Catholic Church represents one billion people around the world. That's a lot of folks. And if you don't know much about what happened uh, back 50 years or so ago, it was uh, the first time the church acknowledged that the Jewish people were legitimate, that they renounced some of the uh, edicts of uh, the Nicene Council, over 2,000 years ago, and, it, and in a, a document that followed it up called Nostra Ite, or In Our Times, which is what it means, um, it um, explained further that the relationship between the Catholic Church, Christians in general, as they understand it, uh, and the Jewish people is a unique one. That the Jewish people are not heathens, uh, you know, or infidels or something like that, but rather the children of God. And that was very significant. And it talked about a really unique and important relationship that must exist between the Jewish people and all believers in Messiah Yeshua everywhere. So on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of this, uh, you know, landmark document, uh, a number of things have happened. Uh, some uh, writings have come out by Orthodox rabbis and also by representatives of the Christian church. Uh, and I wanted to read a little bit from both of those things for you, uh, just so that we understand where we stand in all of this. Before we begin, I want to talk about something that has driven me since the day I became a believer almost 30 years ago. It be 30 years uh, this summer. And that is that Messianic Judaism is unique and important, in fact, critical to the future of redemption in the world. So I'll start with this quote from my good friend, Rabbi Richard Nickel, who wrote this back in 1992, I believe it was, for the first issue of our Kesher magazine. He said this, he said, two related facts make Messianic Judaism the most important religious movement in the current world scene. First, the historical reality of Messiah Yeshua's resurrection. Second, the clear teaching of the Bible that God's covenant with Israel continues to this very day and will continue through the full flowering of Olam Haba. These two facts provide not only the rock-solid factual basis for our faith, but also allow us the confidence that our movement is nestled close to the heart of the Creator. Simply stated, Messianic Jewish congregations exist not merely as the result of observable 
sociological and political forces like the Six-Day War uh, or the hippie movement. But they exist because the creator of the universe is a covenant-keeping God who has stated in no uncertain terms that Israel is his and that Jewish believers in Yeshua are his. And I want you to understand this, this term, Jewish believer in Messiah Yeshua, this is, this is vital to what I want to talk to you about today. Because you're going to hear a lot about believers on both sides of this equation. So, I would suggest to you that implied in this statement is the reality that we are part of an ongoing covenant with God that God has made with the Jewish people of all times and places. And indeed, in us, who have received the Messiah Yeshua, us, and I'm, ta I'm talking specifically to the Jewish people here today. In us, uh, indeed in us, who have received the Messiah Yeshua, the promises of God, uh, uh, the, the promises that God made to our fathers are being fulfilled. It's in us. These are the promises that God made to his people Israel through Messiah Yeshua, and he cannot be secondary or left out. That's what makes us unique in all the world. Not only that, but the kingdom of God begins right here. So, to us has been given the task of bringing this message of God, uh, God's promises, to our own people. And there's a real challenge in this, and it's being challenged even further, interestingly enough, by the peace that is being made as a result of these the 50th anniversary of this thing, and the things that are being said by both Jews, you, uh, rabbis on one side, Christian uh, theologians and leaders on the other. And I'll explain it to you as I read a little bit from each one of them. I saw. So I hope you'll stay with me for, with this, because I wanna, want you to hear from their own lips the interesting things that they are saying. I'm going to start with the rabbis. And this comes from a, do a document called To Do the Will of Our Father in Heaven Toward a Partnership Between Jews and Christians. And this was uh, drafted by and adopted by a group of Orthodox Jewish rabbis in the United States, Europe, and Israel. There's a whole list. You can look these things up. You'll see a whole list of names of these rabbis uh, who have signed on to this particular document. Now this goes on for a few pages. I'm not going to do all of that. We're just going to read a couple of things and to highlight what they're saying and how it relates to our challenges. So in the third paragraph, it says this. It says, as did Maimonides and Yehuda Halevi, we acknowledge that Christianity is neither an accident or an error, but the, will, uh, the willed divine outcome and gift to the nations. In separating Judaism and Christianity, God willed a separation between partners with significant theological differences. Not a separation between enemies. Rabbi Jacob Emden wrote that Jesus brought a double goodness to the world. On the one hand, he strengthened the Torah of Moses majestically, and not one of our sages spoke out more emphatically concerning the immutability of the Torah. I don't know if you 
when I read that, I was like, wow. They said two things about Yeshua that I've never heard come from the mouth of rabbis before. One, that he was a strengthener of the Torah. He brought double goodness into the world by strengthening the Torah of Moses. And secondly, they called him a sage. My goodness, that's the first time I've heard any official grouping of you know, Jewish leaders say that about the Messiah. Of course, they're not calling him the Messiah. They'll call him a sage you know, and all that. He's much more than a sage, my friends. You know, I'm sage in my own way. I mean, I smell like sage sometimes. That's, that's, that's what I meant. It goes on to say in another portion of that same paragraph, it says, Christians are congregations that work for the sake of heaven who are destined to endure, whose intent is for the sake of heaven and whose reward will not be denied. Now that's all really, really, really good stuff. So what's the problem? It sounds really great. It sounds wonderful. Peace in our time between two faiths that have been at war for centuries. Um, the problem is, is that the separation remains. In fact, it's critical to the relationship that there should be a separation. If you'll recall, it says in separating Judaism and Christianity, God willed a separation between partners with significant theological differences, not a separation between enemies. So they use the term separation a few times there in order to create, the, create that distinction, which, and listen, I believe in the distinction part, uh, which I'll explain later, but the separation part is a little bit tricky for me. So they're telling us that, you know, listen, as long as we have this good fence that stands in between us, we'll, you know, We'll say good things about you, and you say good things about us, and that'll, be, that'll work out really well. So it sounds pretty good on the face of it. But what does that do for us, those of us who are believers in Messiah Yeshua, since there's supposed to be some kind of separation here? So that's one. That's the orthodox side of the equation. Listen, we'll call Jesus a nice guy, as long as you realize he's not for us, he's for you, and you... Stay on that side of the fence and we'll stay on ours. All right? Sounds good. Okay. They go on to say, at the end of this, uh, toward the end of this document, it says, our partnership in no way minimizes the ongoing differences between the two communities and two religions. We believe that God employs many messengers to reveal his truth. While we affirm the fundamental ethical obligations that all people have before God, that Judaism has always taught through the universal Noahide covenant. So in other words, we Jews have our thing to do, but God speaks to the rest of the world in different ways and, and so on. Um, well, you know, that opens the door for lots of different religions. I mean, you know, you could be a Wiccan and, you know, fall into that category for that matter. So it's a problem on the one hand. Now I want to talk about how the Christians are reacting to this. Now remember, this is all in response to these documents that were written 50 years ago, and they just want to make peace be good to each other. 
and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to listen to this portion from the Commission for Religious Relations with the Jews from the Roman Catholic Church in a document called The Gifts and the Calling of God are Irrevocable. A reflection on theological questions pertaining to Catholic-Jewish relations on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of Nostra Aetae. So, uh, it's a long document, by the way, and it, and it recounts the, all the history, the bad history of their church as far as pertains to the Jewish people, so at least they're confessing it. Uh, and confessing their misunderstanding of a lot of things. Not, in that way, it's very good. But I want to get to the heart of this matter about who Yeshua is for the Jew and for the Gentile. Uh, so it says, in paragraph 36, it says, from the Christian confession that there can be only one path to salvation, however, it does not in any way follow that Jews are excluded from God's salvation because they do not believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah of Israel and the Son of God. That's, you know, the Christians believe there's only one way, but the Jewish people don't have to believe it. Such a claim would find no support in the soteriological understanding of St. Paul, who in the letter of the, to the Romans not only gives expression to his convictions that there can be no breach in history, in the history of salvation, but that salvation comes from the Jews. God entrusted Israel with a unique mission, and he does not bring his mysterious plan of salvation for all people to fulfillment without drawing into it his firstborn son. From this, it is self-evident that Paul, in the letter to the Romans, definitively negates the question he himself has posed, whether God has repudiated his own people. Just as decisively, he asserts, for the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. That the Jews are participants in God's salvation is theologically unquestionable. But how can that be possible without confessing Messiah Christ explicitly? Is, a, is and it remains an unfathomable divine mystery. So that's how they, they solve the problem. It's an unfathomable mystery how it could be possible for the Jewish people to receive salvation without believing in Messiah. So he says, uh, uh, well, we can stop right there. Well, I'll read this. Says it is therefore no accident that Paul's soteriological reflections in Romans 9 through 11 on the irrevocable redemption of Israel against the background of the Christ mystery culminate in a magnificent doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How inscrutable are His judgments and how unsearchable His ways! So what they're saying is is uh, we don't know how this is possible that they could possibly be saved without knowing Messiah Yeshua. Uh, but somehow it's going to happen, and it's just, you know, we'll just chalk, chalk it up to the mystery. So as I'm reading these two documents, what I'm recognizing is that there's an agreement on both sides of the aisle that the Jewish people are over here always, and the and Gentile people are over here always, and maybe at some point in some distant, majestic, in, in, inscrutable future, uh, there will be, you know, We'll all get together and be, play nice. The problem, of course, in both of these cases is, on the one hand, to be a Jew, one must not subscribe to this idea of Messiah Yeshua. And on the other side, uh, there is no recognition of Jewish believers as, uh, as, as an entity, as a reality. 
See, they both miss something, particularly the Christian church here. Hey, wake up. We are the mystery. The Jewish believers are the mystery in all of this. God did not awaken this movement, as Rabbi Rich talked about, for no reason at all. It's an indicator of the time in which we live. And so what disturbs me about all of this talk, chatter is there was never any mention anywhere in any of the dialogue that I saw about the Messianic Jewish community. There was one private conversation that a friend of mine overheard between a priest and uh, two priests or something regarding the Messianic Jews. So we've been left out again in this conversation. That uh, uh, we're left out of a conversation to which we are the key. To which we are the key. So we have a challenge before us to demonstrate the faithfulness of God to Israel in and through Messiah Yeshua. So that's the kind of community that we have to be. So here's where it, gets, it starts to get sticky for us, my friends. You know, it says in, uh, in, his, in his book, uh, Paul Among the Post-Liberals, Douglas Haring, the author, uh, author there, speaking about Jewish believers, who when he wrote this, by the way, didn't even know that there was such a thing as the Messianic Jewish community, he wrote this, he said, the chosen remnant is not to be understood as the saved minority portion of Israel over against the lost majority. The remnant is rather the representative part of the whole, the very means by which the whole of Israel, including the hardened portion, is already made holy. He quotes from Romans where it says, if the first fruits are holy, then the whole batch is holy, and if the root is holy, then the branches." are also holy. In other words, that the holiness of Israel rests on those of us who are believers in Messiah Yeshua to sanctify all of our people. We are the mystery. But that all, with that mysterious position comes a, a, a unique challenge for us as Messianic Jewish believers. And that is to live as part of Israel. Despite whether the rabbis think we're on the wrong side of the aisle or not. Despite the uh, difficulties that this, that from, with which we are confronted on a da virtually daily basis. Interestingly enough, I think things that the dialogue is starting to move in a direction that if we have our ducks lined up, we might be in a better position to influence our brethren. And that's the way we have to see it. Not as some, uh-oh, you know, we're, we're cut out again, even though sometimes I feel that way, but rather to see it as an opportunity. That now, I mean, when the rabbis can call Yeshua a sage, I have a jumping off point in which to have a discussion. But that means that we have to be willing to do that. We have to get out there, mix it up in our community, and be bold about our faith in Messiah Yeshua. Talk about it. But it also means that we as a community must live as a Jewish community. And this is a real challenge for us in these days. 
you know, there are a lot of, a lot of you folks who are from the nations who join together with us. And, of course, for some people, that seems to dilute the Jewishness of our community and so on and so forth. And that's a reality that we have to face together, not run away from. If we keep running away from it, it'll just, nothing will ever happen. Our goal is to reach the Jewish people. That is the mission of this community. That's why it was formed uh, all those many years ago in Benny, Benny Viena's living room. For no other reason than that. But it takes the commitment of everyone. We can't, chirk, we can't run away from it. We can't hide. Because we know something else too. This is something I've discovered. That the message that we have does resonate with many people. Maybe because it's a little closer to the truth than other things. So I can understand that. I can understand why people want to sit, hear what we're having to say. Because we teach the whole word of God. Because we're committed to a, a world that looks like the world that God seems to want. A world where the whole, all people are at peace and know the Messiah. But if we are to meet the challenges of the 21st century, a, a century which is becoming more godless and more difficult to discuss the truth with people, we better be more committed. You know, there's a movie I once saw, and there was a great line from the movie. It said, the most committed win. And that's where we find ourselves. The most committed will win this fight. And so what we have to do is be committed to the principles that got us started. That God is, as, as, as Rabbi Nichols said, uh, simply stated, Messianic Jewish congregations exist uh, because the creator of the universe is a covenant-keeping God who has stated in no uncertain terms that Israel is his and that Jewish believers in Messiah are his. That's the, that's the founding principle of this congregation. And so what we have to do is offer ourselves up to, to this cause. That means going out, reaching out to Jewish people, telling them about the Messiah, teaching them what we know, how he changed our lives. How he made all, makes all the difference for us in our own personal walk and how he will make the difference for all the Jewish people. And then ultimately the world. No, Yeshua did not come just to save Gentiles. No, he came first for the people of Israel. First, he is the king of Israel. The glory of Israel. He cannot be left out of who and what the Jewish people are. And I'm not much of a believer in unrecognized mediation. No, we all must come to know him personally. And Israel must come to know him as a nation. So that's a real hard challenge for all of us people. But we have to do it. So that becomes, it's essential then. And now let me speak to my Gentile brothers and sisters in here. 
It's essential that those of you who come to live here in our midst recognize this calling on our community and that you're willing to adopt this calling as your own. Simcott is not an example of the one new man theory where there's all differences, all distinctions are obliterated utterly. That's not what we hope to be. Rather, it is a place where the remnant of Israel worship God and call their own people to a renewed faith in their God and his Messiah and the covenant that uh, he made with our fathers long ago. And over the years, I've had a, a unique privilege to talk to Jewish people, most of whom, who, you know, their Jewish, Jewishness was marginal. Certainly their observance was marginal altogether. Maybe they lost all sense of their identity as Jewish people. They were just plain old American. And I've had the opportunity to awaken at least a spark of what it means to be a Jew in them. Well, that's the job of every rabbi. That's a great, great thrill for me. Makes my life feel like it's had some meaning. But it gets harder and harder all the time. So we have to be more committed. More willing to fail. Can't walk away because, you know, gee, it doesn't look good and, you know, it doesn't look like there are enough Jewish people here or something. Let me explain something to everybody. We don't have too many Gentiles in this place. We have too few Jews. The Messianic Jewish movement has too, doesn't have too much of anything. Never has. But one day, one day, if we're committed, otherwise God can wait another generation or two or three or four. You know, as, uh, for those of you who have recently been through our orientation classes, again, I'm speaking to our non-Jewish brothers and sisters here. Uh, we teach that th th those people who, who are from the nations should be people who have that quality that we call Ahavas Yisrael, which means the love of Israel. They're people who are called to come alongside us and to help us to build our community because they love the Jewish people and are committed to, the, to God's purposes for Simcot. That's the reason why a non-Jew would be here. Because there's a calling from heaven above that says, you go and you help those people accomplish the goals I've given to them. Because after all, we're only a remnant. And we could use a little help. But that has to be the main reason. And they should have a commitment to Simcot Israel as a Jewish community. And so that means that all the non-Jewish people who seek to be part of this community should see themselves on a journey to live a more Jewishly oriented life. If, that's not, if you don't want that, if that's not something that shows up on your radar, I'm not sure why you would even, why would you be here? I'm not that, I, I mean, listen, I, I'm not that good a speaker. 
You know, it's not like that. You know, there has to be a purpose behind it. It means honoring the Shabbat and the holy days, committing yourself to Jewish learning and living. Not just on Shabbat, by the way, but in your homes every day. It's only this way that we, if we maintain ourselves as a Jewish community, can we, have, can we see ourselves within the community of Israel and have a greater effect. To demonstrate that living out the life of Messiah Yeshua as a Jew is a legitimate response to the covenants of Israel, the promises that God made. And we'll give the lie to some of this stuff. Listen, nice as it is, it, it, it misses a, a clear, unambiguously important dimension. That Messiah and the Jewish people are one. And that's a message that I cannot compromise, no matter how much. I'd rather have war than give that up. So, how are we going to do this? Uh, I've asked Tom Esposito, who's great at this, uh, to uh, put together a class, and it's going to be starting in a few weeks, on how to witness to the Jewish people, how to talk to Jewish people. As some of you have asked me, listen, I want to talk to my Jewish friends, I just don't know how. Tom's going to help us out. We'll give you more information about that. I hope we'll all take advantage of that because we can probably all do a better job. But most of all, it's going to come with... The words of Ephesians chapter 4. I'll just leave us with this quote. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, speaking to that community, says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Holy One of Israel, these are important things, and I just hope that there will be a real answer. Thank you that things, uh, that the relations between the Jewish people and the church are getting better. But I pray, O Lord, that our Messiah Yeshua will not be left out. Because he is the key to both Jew and Gentile. Help us in our congregation, Lord God, to reach out to the Jewish people more effectively. And part of that, O God, can only come from you, through, the, through your Holy Spirit, through your Ruach, to touch the hearts of our people, to create revival for the future, Lord God. And thank you that you've given us the opportunity to build this place so that if and when that revival occurs, here we are, ready to receive. So prepare us to receive, we pray, your great gifts. We pray in the name of Messiah Yeshua. Amen.